1: Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Lindsay Pollack, and she is a multi-generational workplace expert. And we're going to learn a little bit more about her and her background. She's also an author. She's written a couple books, New York Times best selling book, Becoming the Boss. She also wrote Getting from College to Career. And most recently, her new book is The Remix, How to Lead and Succeed in the Multi-Generational Workplace. And we're going to talk a lot about that and about what we can learn as business leaders in service-based companies about what it means to run a multi generational workplace. So I'm excited for the conversation. I think it's a great topic for our audience. With that, Lindsay, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks for having me, Bruce. Glad to be here.
1: So why don't we start with your background? How did you get to become the multi-generational workplace expert? What was the experience that you had and, and how did you get into this role?
0: It is a great question and I love to tell the story because I think it's a sign of how when you follow your interests, kind yeah. of wild things happen. Um, <laughs> my first job out of graduate school was at a magazine called Working Woman, which was launching a website at the time. And it was my dream job. I loved career advice. I loved learning about my own career. It was like the perfect way to start uh, in New York City. I grew up in Connecticut. And it was unfortunate that the website went bankrupt about 18 months after I joined. So oh <laughs> dream job yeah. exploded in the yeah. dot .com bust. And I used that as an opportunity to start freelancing um, while I was job hunting. So I was writing career advice articles. I was editing. Um, I had some connections in the book industry. So I was working on book proposals and kind of book doctoring and just really any kind of writing work I could get my hands on. And I accidentally never found a job. And that was the beginning of my business. So (laughs) (laughs) it kind of grew. Um, And the surprise, I really thought I wanted to be a writer. I always really enjoyed writing, especially Mm -hmm. long form. But what happened was I started to get work teaching writing classes, uh, corporate writing, business writing uh, through various friends and colleagues that I had in the writing world. And I really loved the speaking piece um, and as I was young, I started speaking on college campuses about how to get a job in the new digital workforce. I started blogging about how I was building my career and my business. I was writing newsletters for women's business clubs and giving speeches. And that led to my first book, which you mentioned, Getting from College to Career, which led to the attention of LinkedIn, who hired me as their very first campus ambassador. So they hired me to go speak to college students about how to build LinkedIn profiles. and they Always, always, yeah. always thank LinkedIn for that amazing opportunity. Um, I was such a fan of the site and it really gave me my platform. And I really thought that was the business. And here's where kind of fate intervened, which is that the word millennial sort of exploded onto the scene around 2008, around the uh, Obama campaign was Mm -hmm. when it really started to gain prominence. And companies started to call me out of the blue and say, you know, we hear that you teach college students how to build their careers. Could you teach us how to hire and understand these college students who we want to recruit. That's and like any good entrepreneur, I said, yeah, of course I do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm like busily writing up a, a you know, a sales sheet. Um, and that really transitioned me into the corporate world. And I was sort of known as one of the very first millennial experts. It was unintended, but I kind of grew. And I did that for about 10 years, wrote my second book, Becoming the Boss, to help millennials move into leadership. And then I noticed this other shift a couple of years ago, which was, OK, millennials have been here a long time. Sure. They're in their late 30s now. They're running for president. They're running companies. Yeah. They're firm partners. They're, you know, they're not kids. And while Gen Zs are coming in and we can talk about them, what really started to interest me, partly because I'm getting older too, is yeah. that you know, millennials are here, but so are all the rest of us. And companies started to talk about the multi-generational work environment. And I'll, I'll wrap up with this, that it's not just that young people are coming in, but the rest of us are working longer and later yeah. into our careers. So The Remix, my most recent book, and, and most of the work that I'm doing as a speaker now is really helping people not just talk about millennials and Gen Zs coming in, but how to maintain a workplace where we have five generations working together for really the first time in history. And I, I've just found the whole topic. Topic fascinating, and I've been really fortunate that I've been able to keep building my business through all of these different transitions.
1: Yeah, no, it's and, and it's an interesting kind of point is that because the because our kind of older generations are actually staying in the workforce longer than kind of I guess originally planned or originally thought they may be in the workforce. It is, or at least historically, they're, they're in there longer, which creates a much broader sort of span of generations that are actually interacting and working together in the workforce. I, I imagine too, just the nature of work as so much more kind of team based and collaborative that it's even forcing the issue even more in in terms of what's happening in terms of dynamic of of workplace cultures.
0: Absolutely, and work is a lot less physical than it used to be in in previous eras. (laughs) So the stat that I like to share is we have more Americans over the age of 85 in the workforce today than ever in history, double the number than a generation ago. So people are working longer, not just because they need to, perhaps financially, but also because they're healthier and the jobs don't require lifting things, you know? been <laughs> running yeah. big, big machinery, so the collaborative nature, but also the the knowledge based work, is really affecting the age of people as well.
1: Yeah. So, so why don't we sort of baseline some of this in terms of what do we mean by generation? What do we mean by millennials? Like, give give for people that have a, a a vague sense of what it is to talk about generations, give us some kind of ground rules in terms of when we talk about generations. What are they? What defines a generation? What are the generations that are kind of in place right now in terms of the workforce?
0: You got it. And I'm totally. I totally understand that some people don't like this theory, right? I think we're all human beings. Mm -hmm. What does it matter when you're born? The reason I find it interesting and helpful is that the times in which you're born and come of age and enter the workforce really affect your expectations. So if you come into the workforce at a time when email doesn't exist, you're going to have a different skill set, different expectations than somebody who comes in, you know, in the workforce today. So I'm not saying that we're all fundamentally different. What I'm saying is our experiences, our skill sets, our expectations are different based on the times in which we're born. And the uh, numbers that I go with are the Pew Research Center. I think they're the most reputable. Um, And we really start with the traditionalists, the World War II greatest generation. um, They were born before 1945. um, And that era is still in the workforce a couple million, but those are people in their 70s and 80s. So primarily out of the workforce, but often retired with a pension, right? And worked at one company their whole career. Then you have the baby boomers born 1946 to 1964. And that generation is is the largest ever born into America. 76 million people were born in that time. And the boomers really dominated the workplace and all of culture in the United States for about 50 years because they were just so big.
1: Yeah, just massive.
0: (laughs) Massive, massive, massive. And even today, 75% of governors and congresspeople are still baby boomers. I mean, this is sort of like the unending generation and they are continuing to work because they're living longer, healthier lives. So the boomers are still actively engaged. Then you have my generation and I think yours, Generation Mm -hmm. X. We were born 65 to 80, and we were a very small generation following after the boomers. They called us the baby bust. So we yeah. were just never large enough to kind of take over all those leadership roles. We were always kind of second class compared to the boomers. So there are about 76 million boomers born, only about 55 million Gen Xers, so yeah. significantly smaller generation. Then after us, you have the children of the boomers, so another big generation in the millennials, also known as Generation Y, but they're still a little bit smaller than the boomers. So big, but not quite as big as their boomer parents. Millennials are born about 1981 to 1996. And now Gen Z is the last one to enter, born 1997 and later. So just graduating from high school and college. We're now out of letters. So kind of a bummer <laughs> in my field that we started with X, but they're actually, Double starting a. Double a, they're actually calling them Alpha. So you heard it here 1st uh, Yeah. Alpha. But Gen Z are the children of Xers like us, so they're going to track very small. So what you have is this very dominant boomer generation and this very dominant millennial generation. And that's why when you hear people talk about this topic, I've heard people say like, wait, Gen X, what? You know, I've <laughs> never heard of them because the boomers and millennials often dominate the conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Just because of their size. Now, and so we talk about these dates and we talk about kind of the timeframes, but, uh, you know, tell us more about what it really means to be part of that generation. I mean, what are the, the to be part of a generation, you know, it's more than just being born at a certain time. It's be, really being influenced by the the key things that happened during those periods. I mean, what what are some of the events and some of the things that that define kind of the values or the expectations, as you talked about, you know, whether it's Technology, things like email or world events, or uh, what, what are the things that go into kind of uh, impacting how a generation thinks or their values or their um, kind of the expectations they have when it comes to work?
0: Yeah, I like the way you're describing it. And not everybody feels exactly the same way. Some people were born in a different country, or they you know sure. feel like an old soul. Not everybody you know fits into these categorizations. But there are a couple of major factors for each. For the traditionalists, it's absolutely World War II, right? Fifty yeah. percent of men are in the military so that military command and control loyalty integrity you know all of that is really the mindset of that generation even if you were a woman you were probably married to or had a son or brother or cousin who was um, in the military so that era is very much about loyalty and structure the baby boomers kind of rebel against that a little but i think what's most notable about the boomers is just the the sheer size so if the boomers wanted to Mm. you know march against the vietnam war that had an impact civil rights women's rights all of those major your movements have an impact in that generation. They're also the first television generation. So conspicuous consumption, consumer debt, you know, all that starts with the baby boomers. And I think what's really interesting, I I always think of the quintessential boomer as Steve Jobs, because he was like meditating and barefoot, you know, and sort of a hippie, but he was also fiercely competitive, you know, (laughs) and a billionaire. So it's that combination of wanting to change the world, but also wanting to acquire and wanting to be successful and beat the competition. So you're collective as a big group, but you're also competitive as a big group. You know, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people um, in your world, and I think we still see that with with the boomers today. Gen Xers, I think, are kind of the odd men and women out. We're very independent. I think we kind of saw that the boomers were always going to be dominant. So we had technology. We had personal computers. We had video games. We were sort of the era of the home computing revolution. We also were the children of the absolute spike in the divorce rate, which was something that the baby boomers led, which led to that phenomenon of latchkey kids, oh, yeah. which is that we had fewer siblings, we had fewer kids in our classes, and many of our parents were divorced. So we'd come home to an empty house and the, the story was kind of let yourself in with a key. But I think what's more important about that is the independence of microwaving yourself a snack, right? Or playing a video game alone against the computer. Because in the workplace, what that means is Gen Xers are actually the most entrepreneurial. Yeah. We kind of came in and said, well, there's not really a place for for me in this hierarchical baby boomer dominated world. So if you look at Silicon Valley, the Google guys, Reid Hoffman of LinkedIn, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, you know, certainly there's the earlier days of Bill Gates and and Steve Jobs. But a lot of that kind of web-based Google era Silicon Valley is really led by Gen Xers who said, I want to create a whole different culture of what work means. So that model, I think, was really influential for Gen Xers to see that work-life balance was perhaps possible, right? That getting out of the corporate structure was possible. We're somewhat the outsiders. And then millennials, as children of the boomers, were, again, another large generation. And they're kind of born into, of course, the Internet as digital natives. But they're very much part of these huge networks like Facebook, right, and YouTube. And so they bought into this collectivism while still being very competitive, I think, in a lot of ways, that they were part of these very, very big movements like social media. Um, And a lot of people call millennials the first global generation. Because while a Gen Xer in the US and a Gen Xer in France might not really feel like they have that much in common, because millennials all around the world had Facebook, they really feel like they were part of something similar to people in hundreds of countries. So the impact that has is is really, really interesting. Um, I think the other piece you have to talk about with millennials is student loan debt, that the price of getting an education became so high that so many of the decisions that they need to make in their careers are really driven by that massive debt. They also came of age at a time when it was, you know, almost impossible to make a career at one company. You know, they were the kids of all the parents who got laid off in the outsourcing 80s. So their expectation of what work is is very different. They've always had email. So they expect that you can work remotely because you don't have to be in an office, you know, a Gen Xer or a boomer might not have that expectation. And now I'll tell you a really quick story about Gen sure. Z. Yeah. I have a seven year old daughter and you know, I'm thinking, well, what's she going to be like? The millennials are going to have to manage her generation. You know what? What's different. And I mean, I'm raising her. I see her every day and I was kind of figuring it out. We were on vacation in Maine and we walked into our hotel room And my seven-year-old says into the air of our hotel room, Alexa, what's the weather? And I thought she's going to walk into a workplace and say, like, where's my orientation meeting? You know, what time is my is my meeting with my boss? She will never know workplace without voice recognition and artificial intelligence. So we're kind of seeing evolve in each generation, not just your experience culturally and economically, but also the technologies that you just assume will be available to you. So to my daughter an ai device is kind of like a boomer expecting that the workplace will have an outlet to plug things in you know it's yeah, just sort of this yeah. expectation so a lot of factors go in. I I don't really talk too much about all the, you know, all the nitty gritty details of of what make the generations different. I, I like to let people decide on their own. But the fact is that the times in which you're born affect what you expect your employer to provide to you and what you expect your career to be. So if you're running a workplace or a company or an organization with multiple generations, your definition of a career might be very different from somebody else's. Your definition of community communicating might be very different from somebody else's generationally. And then you add on the layer that we're all just different human beings with different personalities yeah, yeah, and it exactly. starts to get really complicated. Yeah.
1: No, I can see, I, I can certainly see, I mean, I like this idea that it's really, it's just kind of the assumptions people have about the world or how the world works. And and as you know, generations kind of evolve, and you know, in different kind of early contexts, those assumptions are different, and they're not necessarily right or wrong or good or bad. They're just they're different. And so, failure to understand that you know a different generation is going to have a different set of kind of working assumptions about how the you know how business works, how you know the the context that they're going to be working in, the norms, things like that. You can quickly see where where a lot of the kind of the the friction or the you know challenges come when you have uh, you know different generations having to work together especially in very kind of tight-knit collaborative teams where you know a lot of the stuff is happening quickly and in real time so so I like that I, I always have this this phrase of all models are wrong some of them are useful you know, this feels <laughs> like one of those it's like you know if you try to if you try to use this to say oh well but I don't feel like that or I didn't have that experience when I was young yes any individual person may may or may not have you know a particular kind of experience as, as someone in a generation but you know knowing or understanding that as a, on a broad level these are the things that affect that generation's norms and kind of values is is important to get. So we've got these different generations. They're not coming to the workforce. The workforce, or you know, the, the work environment, uh, you know, is kind of these new changes of fast moving, collaborative environments. What are some of the things that I, I guess what are what are some of the typical challenges start start to come up when you look at workplace kind of productivity or culture you know workplace culture when it comes to the generation are there typical kind of situations or challenges that come up between particular generations that that you've seen or that you hear clients kind of talking about or you know kind, kind of bemoaning about in terms of the challenges that they're having with with their teams
0: there absolutely are and you know I'd have to say that they're probably the challenges that you hear just in general between human beings yeah. you know who are all different but the two that I would really point to that are most frequent in my Work are how people want or expect to be managed by their boss, yeah. and number two, communication. I yeah. mean, communication is, is kind of you know relates to everything, but that specific relationship with your manager, particularly if you're different generations, can be such a friction point. But it can also be a tremendous opportunity to build a cross generational relationship. And I would I would focus on those two.
1: Yeah. Well, and actually, it's interesting how you you started that because I think that's a good point. Is and I see this a lot is people kind of use the generation kind yeah. of excuse. Lot. And, you know, sometimes they're just, you know, sometimes there's just bad managers or you've sometimes got you know people who are, yeah. are poor or not are not easy to manage. And so I think it's I mean, maybe one point for our audiences is, is be careful. I would say, you know, it's easy to kind of chalk it up to generation differences. But being a good manager is something you need to figure out how to do. And being easy to manage is something that is going to serve you well, you know, as uh, early in your career to get ahead and, and work with a team and work for a boss. So I guess how often do you see see kind of managers or, or people complaining about, about Challenges in the workplace and kind of chalking it up to generational differences when it's really not is that is that something that comes up a lot for you?
0: It's remarkably common, and I think really we are more alike than we are different. And I think that all people want pretty much the same things in their relationship with their manager. They're just going to want them in different ways. So the what is the same, the how might be different. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Yeah. Um, and you probably know Google did a study called Project Oxygen, yeah, where they studied what made people good managers, and it was stuff like spends time with me, care about my career, you know, it helps me overcome <laughs> challenges. I mean, these are not like new concepts. Uh, yeah. The problem is, I think in the past, and I absolutely feel like this as a Gen Xer who was often managed by baby boomers, I wanted those things, but I just sort of got used to not getting them because it was like, well, my boss is doing her job or his yeah. job and they don't have time for me. And I didn't really speak up or I didn't know that was possible. I think what's happening with millennials is that they read about Silicon Valley, right? They're much more savvy with glass doors and RateMyProfessor.com and social media in general and LinkedIn as another example to know what good management is, to know the companies that offer it. It's just more commonly known. And they have tools like Glassdoor and Yelp and and social media to say, wow, my boss is terrible, you know, or I'm going to give my boss low ratings in her 360 or or I'm going to put bad reviews on Glassdoor. So I think the desires are the same, but the expectation and the fact that millennials have a voice to speak up when they don't get, managed well. And there's less of a stigma for them to quit a job if they don't like a boss. You know, yeah. I would never have quit a job, you know, within less than a year or two years. So I think that the desires are very much the same. And I, I'll give you a great example of a, a manager sure. who I think handled this really well. It was actually a millennial guy who was in IT and he managed a multi-generational team. I think he had people like up to 40 years apart, some boomers, and Xers and, and his fellow millennials. Yeah. And he was sort of overwhelmed by their need for his attention and his time. And he was relatively recent out of college. And he remembered Remembered that his professors would have office hours. So he said, here's what I'm going to do from 8 to 9 a.m. every day. I'm going to have office hours. If you want to talk about your career, if you want to talk about promotion, if you have a problem, if you have, you know, anything you want to talk to me about that's not related to our work, but is like, you know, a personal issue. That's the time to find me. Now, that was the what, right? What he said was, you can come in and talk to me face-to-face. You can Skype me. You can call me. You can instant message me. You can text me. However you want to communicate, you can. But that time frame is when I'm available. So I thought that was a really cool way of accounting for you know possible generational differences of how people want to spend that time, but also just personal preference or, or what your day looked like of how you were going to use that time. So he made himself available, but he did it in a way that I thought was very inclusive of different kinds of personalities and different generations.
1: Yeah, I like that. And I like, I mean, I think this is, um, you know, d- sort of good management practice in general, which is kind of at, at some level kind of ask people how they want to be managed, <laughs> you know, yeah. be, be clear on what your expectations are, but then ask them like, where, where do you want support? How do you want that support? When do you want it? And what format, you know, in what medium do you want to be? Do you want to meet face to face? Do you want to do it through email? All those things. But I think that, that taking that kind of, you know, being curious about the people that you're managing in terms of what are, how do they want to receive the support and the management that you want to give them? And then this kind of added layer of understanding that the generational kind of background for each one of these folks might lead them to different paths and, and give you some some guesses in terms of what might work best for them and what. What might not work so well for them is a great kind of management lesson. Where else do you see, like, if you're kind of planning, if you're figuring out how to put together teams or put together departments or, or put together working relationships, is there any kind of strategy or, or anything that you suggest people take into consideration when you're dealing with different generations and, and things that tend to work so well or not work so well? I mean, I can see kind of pros and cons in terms of having lots of diversity of background, but also, yeah, having challenges with, you know, common kind of experiences, common frameworks, common values. What are your thoughts on from a planning point of view, not just kind of a post-management post, post management point of view?
0: Well, I don't think that there's a perfect mix, right? I don't think you have to be exactly reflective of the US population overall. But, you know, I always tend toward diversity, right? So the more diverse, the better. What I think is important to connect people is really the purpose of the mission of the team, Um, whether that's a greater purpose, you know, in life, or just the fact that people have bought in to what the goals are of the team. So one of the areas that I think is often a multi-generational environment that is very successful is something like political campaigns. So when you have volunteers working or even staff, you often see kids coming in out of college and then people have worked on campaigns for decades, you know, and then the AARP is always very involved in a lot of campaigns, but they all believe in the candidate or they believe in the causes that the candidate stands for. So that's just one area where I think if you can get clear on the mission on the North Star, and I know this is something you talk about a lot, no matter how big or small or diverse your team is, that is going to serve you well. If everybody buys into that, then a lot of the other differences tend to melt away. The second, thing I would say is all of that said, you still have to have really open conversations about how people want to communicate. I think that's where this stuff falls down so much. So Michael Watkins in his book, The First 90 Days, which is like one of my favorite management books, he says, just literally ask people, Bruce, we're going to be working (laughs) together. Like, do you want me to call you? Do you want me to email you? Are you a morning person? Like you can have these very direct conversations. And as a manager, there's nothing more generous than telling people what your preferences are. It's such a, simple thing to do that we almost never actually have the conversation. So I think as a leader of a team to encourage that, is a really powerful thing to do, whether it's multi-generational or just people with any kinds of differences. Yeah,
1: I, I completely agree. And actually, the interesting one, I find a lot of people, when you do that, people actually pause because they haven't actually thought about it. <laughs> yes. and, and one of the yes. benefits, it gets them to think about, yeah, well, how do I want to be managed? And and now you've enrolled them in the process and, and you've gotten them to think about some of these issues and it's no longer you just trying to adapt to them, but they're actually thinking. And sometimes they think about, well, yeah, I kind of like to be managed this way, but that might not be super, super reasonable <laughs> in the context that we're in right here. And you also learn so much. Yeah. So I just
0: did a whole bunch to work with some summer camps, right, who are really struggling to hire young people to come to sleepaway camps. And there was this young woman who is probably in her early 20s, and she's leading all these camp counselors. And I said, you know, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Because we were going to be communicating a lot. And I kid you not, she said, well, you know, I spent all my time on social media because I'm, you know, marketing to the campers and all this stuff. I'm with high school kids all the time. She said, so really, if you want to reach me, just slide into my DMs. Yeah,
1: I love
0: and it. I was like, what?
1: <laughs> 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 like, I'd, be I'd be delighted. Have- I I I have
0: no idea what you're talking about. I love it. And what she meant, for those who like me didn't know, is she's on Instagram all the time and sliding into DMs is specific terminology to Instagram to direct message her on Instagram. And you know what? I had emailed her day after day, no response. I slid into her DMs and she got back to me in a second. So it actually was more productive and effective for me to understand where she was available. Now, if I'm the boss, I don't have to, you know, adapt to every single person, but she was my client. And so that was really. Really beneficial to me as the service provider to learn how she wanted to communicate.
1: Yeah, oh, that's a great example, and it actually <laughs> sets me up for my next question, which is, you know, I think a lot of people listening to this, you know, they're in these high growth companies, they're looking to grow, scale the business, uh, you know, and finding talent is always a huge challenge. Like they, they've got business opportunity, they're developing, you know, they've got revenue, they've got market opportunity, but they don't have the people to actually execute on the work. When you're looking at this question of kind of talent, you know, acquisition, you know, finding talent, acquiring talent, onboarding what are some of the differences in terms of things we need to think about when we're trying to recruit folks from these different generations? What, what are the factors or what are the differences that come up in terms of how you approach these?
0: So one of the things I really want to encourage, particularly small business owners to do, is to really rethink their vision of who the right fit is for a particular job. So if you really look at the skills that you need, it might be from someone who's a very different age from what you had in mind. And yeah. one of the stories I came across in researching the book is of lifeguarding. So there's been this huge drop in teenagers working in the summer because they want to do things to enrich their college okay. applications, want to volunteer, they want to travel, they want to get unpaid internships. So this is a huge problem for pools, right? Because yeah. kids didn't want to be lifeguards. I think it's also that they didn't want to be away from their phones while they're you know, <laughs> watching people in the pool. So anyway, they're not getting kids to apply and they don't have enough talent. So they sort of get together and there's this one pool in Galveston, Texas that kind of led the charge and said, why does a teenager have to be a lifeguard? All we need is someone who's a really strong swimmer and cares about people, right? And wanting them to be safe. So they started listing in the local AARP and retirement publications. I love it. And they started recruiting people over 55 to be lifeguards. And they said they were phenomenal. They were in great shape. They loved being outside. They could drive themselves to work. You know, they all these <laughs> little like side benefits. Yeah. Like it sort of reminds me of when we realized that men could be nurses, you know? It's yeah. like, oh, we can now open up. So if you're a small millennial driven tech company, why not recruit someone who is a retiree who probably could, you know, do your spreadsheet sheets and you know do your business plan with his eyes closed you know why do we always think of people who are our peers and there are all these research numbers showing that the vast majority of us outside of our families or people we're sort of forced to work with we don't really socialize with people more than 10 years older or younger than we are so we don't have the That's networks true. to look for those people so another woman I know said you know she's in a poker game and people used to say like hey can you get my kid an internship you know is anybody hiring my kid needs a job and she said you know 15 years later it's like hey can your kid get me a job you know so <laughs> company, you know, my wife is looking for work, I just would encourage people to not just think of their peers and their relative age peer group, because sometimes, you know, and you see this a lot with, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg hiring Sheryl Sandberg, and you know, that idea of bringing or, or the Google guys bringing in, um, you know, an older executive, yeah, yeah, but in all directions, and even there's a, an organization called Encore that works with retirees who want to get back into the workforce, and they realize, wow, we don't have anybody under 50 in our organization, we need millennials on our team. So I would just think... Think the skill set, the fundamentals should never change. You know what you need in someone to do a job, but really think creatively how that person could be a different age than I had imagined. And sometimes that's a little bit of an aha moment for people.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good. I think we, I mean, kind of a classic trap I think a lot of people get in is, is making all these assumptions about, you know, what, what the ideal candidate looks like and not realizing kind of the inherent biases that, that they have in terms of thinking about that. And, and as you start to identify those and kind of open those things up, new possibilities are imagined actually, it can be a great comp- competitive kind of strategy or, or you know, a differentiating yeah. strategy is that if you can tap, you know, a, a labor pool that, you know, other people aren't thinking about, you know, it can often give you a, a real edge when it comes to being able to you know find the right talent in the right time frame. And oftentimes, there are other attributes that come in. Mm-hmm. That end up being huge advantages, whether it's you know the hours they can work or the um, mm-hmm. you know the type of work they can do or the conditions they can work in. Like the lifeguard one is a is a is a great example. I can just see all these benefits of of having lifeguards that actually have some life experience. Or
0: think about <laughs> right, or, or think about like you know just the networks that you'll have access to that you might yeah. not have before, right? You might not have known anybody in that world or anyone with that perspective. So yeah, there are many many benefits.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, this has been a pleasure, Lindsay. If people want to find out more about you, about the books, about the speaking, the work that you do? What's the best place to get that information?
0: Thank you. The new book is called The Remix. It's available wherever books are sold, including Amazon. And I am on all social media and my website are by my name and I'll spell it because it's a little tricky. It's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y and Pollock is P-O-L-L-A-K. And I would love to connect anywhere and everywhere.
1: Great, I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Lindsay, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Thank you. It was great to talk to you. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter.